Criminal Magic, Chapter 17. Wednesday, 23-22, GMT-5. Once more under the breach, dear friends, once more. Renee is urinating in the bushes behind the cabin when he hears the owl's shriek pierce the night. The tenor of it makes him shiver, and the hair on his arms begins to bristle. But there's something else as well. He jerks into motion. So goddamn loud, you can't hear another fucking thing. He runs off, stuffing himself back in his pants. I just knew there'd be some kind of funny shit down in here, Renee thinks. Knew it for sure. A large object whirs past just above eye level. Get to the bag, his mind reassures him. Just get to the bag. He bursts through the door of the cabin, shouting, Up, motherfucker! Shit doing! Got some shit! Even in the dark, moving at high speed, he sees he needn't have bothered. Nortenio is standing, pulling on a pair of pants and untied boots. A chest harness looped around his shoulders hung with clips and needle grenades and a web belt on around his waist sagging under the weight of loop caps and an extremely large knife. The fuck? You got... Jack doesn't need to put the sentence together any further. He sees he needn't worry about Renee as his new acquaintance throws open one of his bags, drags out two ugly and aggressive pieces of steel, and rams them together with a rotating slap, producing a wicked-looking gun. Well, what is it? Jack demands. You know what it is? Where it is? Answer, Renee says. You seen answer? Renee jams his feet into his boots, slinging a sack full of incendiary devices and a cripple's relief shorty over his shoulders. He shoves past Jack to get himself outdoors. You send him off with that crazy-ass coordinator, Jack. He fires the question as the two of them start hustling down the main road. They hug the lime-washed plaster walls of the houses, never good to be exposed on all sides, if you can avoid it. Yeah, I did, replies Jack. Well, where they at? Far as I know, we're headed right to them. You smell that? Renee's nose is notoriously sensitive. Smells like somebody got a dose of scab cabies. Oof, you smell it. Jack can smell it all right. Death. Fresh and close. Not good. Not good at all. Yeah. Shit sinks, don't it? As they close in on Rafe Kohler's office, he finds himself wishing that his sense of smell was wrong, but the nose knows. And that idiotic phrase resounds in his head with each step they take. Wednesday, 23-25, GMT-5. Waiting for Coordinator to finish downloading the server, Answer sees a flash of motion. Something darker than the dark passing by the window. At the same time, he hears the owl's cry. With his left hand, he taps Coordinator on the shoulder. She turns to look up at him. He crosses his lips and rolls his head to indicate they have company. He sidesteps her chair, drawing a long blade from its sheath along the flat of his back as he moves, and sinks into a semi-crouch, with his body wedged into the corner between the door and a low window. Coordinator drops her head forward, wants to clear the screens from her eyes, and flicks the leads off the server shell as she rolls to her right and squeezes herself into the corner opposite answer, next to the door. By the time she's in place, her right hand is full. In it, she holds a breast palm needler. The weapon's very quiet, perfect for close work. The circular flatness of the palm gun is somehow comforting, like holding a makeup compact, but one capable of letting loose the mayhem of a thousand rolled needles in a gas-compressed stream. Her left hand is achingly empty. Coordinator briefly wishes the home office had processed her flexan request. At least then she'd be bulletproof. Lusa lights on the ground, running. Kohler's work shack is ten meters away, exposed on all sides. Answer, they are coming, she projects, and begins changing shape once again. Inside, Answer hears Luz's warning. Where? He shoots back as he begins projecting. What? He lifts himself slightly off the floor, pushing a pad of space a few centimeters deep between his body and contact with the wooden planks. He appreciates the warning. 
When you have the time to reduce friction, it's a nice edge, and essential in this case since he left the barracks without a gun. He senses a broad band of menace approaching. Even with his eyes open, he can see the sulfurous yellow shade of it encroaching on the air within the cabin. He shivers. Cold. Well, that can't be good. He draws in a deep breath and casts out pale pink ripples of confusion, followed by helical ellipses of lime green breaker that float out into the space surrounding the small building. Answer seeks loose out in his mind. Who are they? He asks. Cayman clan. Ancient ones. They were... Yes, Luce says. The ones watching in the dreaming place. They're the ones who tried to kill you in coordinator. This place is a trap. For who? We will see, little brother. We will see. A wave of life washes over the pueblo. Every street, alley, yard, ditch, and passage is inundated with a squealing, grunting, tidal howl of creatures pitching headlong over one another toward the same unmarked exit. The flood of deer... Jaguar, rat, cat, monkey, dog, and mule streams through the narrow slope of the town, and in the middle of the great creature wash, untrammeled by the animals shoving and jostling for space in their torrent of panic, stands Ramon. Wednesday, 23-28, GMT-5. As Renee and Jack roll down the roadway, the rushing tide of wildlife practically sweeps them away. For once, it is an undeniable advantage to be big. They bounce from doorway to doorway as they're shoved toward their destination. Briefly, they find themselves jammed together in an alcove once inhabited by a plaster statue of a saint, or the Mother of Christ. They take advantage of the respite to catch a breath before stepping out into the living current once again. We're almost there! Jack shouts. Renee can't hear Jack's words, but he figures they must be getting close, or there'd be nothing else to say. The two men are being ferried by the onrushing crowd of animals across an intersection when Renee sees Jack, a few meters ahead, despite his bad leg, make a wildly erratic lurch to the right. Renee blinks. Boom! He opens his eyes and yanks his schmeiser up at the same time. Fuck! Smoke! Debris! A piece of something soft slaps him in the chest. He risks a glance down. Lodged in the hair on his chest is a little scrap of what looks an awful lot like tattooed skin. Struggling to spread his legs so he can brace himself, Renee turns toward the inlet road and unleashes a burst of fire three seconds long, emptying his clip into the smoking inlet of the intersection. He thinks Nortenio must still be with him, never seen any tattoos on that guy. Smoke belches out of the muzzle of his weapon. Come on, you pieces of shit! Got it for you right here! The volume of explosions reverberates between the walls of the intersection, and in his mind, Renee only thinks, This here's the good stuff. Jack is hunched over, his ears just beginning to recover from the concussion of the grenade and the impact of Renee's machine gun fire. One toss and one of those weird fuckers is gone. But what the hell was that? Shit, one of them nearly gapped me. Thank God for the shape-charged grenades. Had no time to get my gun up, and whatever it was nailed shit out of that mule. Killed me straight out. Hell of a blow. Suddenly, as his still-addled mind watches, an amazingly long-bodied man flies out of the pall of smoke and floating debris. The red, painted face and cowlin' white body make him look like some obscene comic book character. Jack stands fixated by the impossibility of the sight as the naked man rises above the sea of moving animal bodies and seems to float through the air, right toward him. The Longbones warrior is pleased to be alive. His companion is dead, shredded into scraps by something the short walker used. That is not important. The magically empowered follower lifts himself above the debris of failure, rising up and toward the tall one in the street. He has a pistol in his hand, but there is no need to fire until he's right in front of the enemy. As he attacks, the Cayman soldier casts a trance over the one he will kill. The other is frozen, unwilling, unable to make sense of the truth of what is coming. Yes, still says they will die, 
He steadies his firing arm with the other hand. Get down, goddammit! Get down! Norteño can't hear. Too close, Renee thinks. Might hit... Ah, fuck it. He yanks the shortened shotgun's triggers and flames both barrels on the flyer. The impossibly airborne killer jerks backward in midair like a kite being yanked to the ground, and his body immediately disappears beneath the heaving royal of the living roadway. At the same time, Jack crumples and vanishes into the mass of moving animals. Renee rushes to where he last saw him, crushing things as he steps on them and overmoving shapes at the other man. He drops the shotgun and, with a single immense effort, jerks his large companion up and onto the safety of his shoulders. Can't believe this shit, Renee puffs to no one in particular as he struggles to wade through the animal mass. Damn, boy, this is some unconventional freestyle weirdness. What are we gonna do now? Answering that tight-ass coordinator close by, but how many more of them flyboys are there? And I lost my fucking blower. He's hot and pissed, jacked up, but ready to go. Put me down, goddammit! Jack is yelling at Renee's belly button. Put me down! Renee hears the muffled words of protest and gratefully unslings Jack from his back. You walk? Renee smears smoke tears from his eyes. Hell yes, let's go, is all Jack says. Wednesday, 2336, GMT-5. Rafe, still, is in the village, running through the streets close on the heels of his beast river. None of the Uwa show themselves. His mind is suffused with the bloat of exhilaration. This is new to Rafe, but timeless to the spirit that manipulates him. They must be watching. Cowards. Easily defeated, no matter how few of us there are. He senses withdrawal. He can smell and hear the retreat of eyes and ears from the gaps in shuttered windows and bolted doors. Good. Fewer to kill. His right hand clutches a modified Sten gun. In his left, he holds a 12-shot runnet. With this, I will rob the enemy wizard of her life, Rafe thinks. And then, I will drink her blood. His heart expands as he runs toward the place his vision shows him as the interfering shaman. Four of his classmen keep pace on his flanks. Each of them bears two weapons. Machine pistols, fully automatic Kalashnikovs, all the arms a member of the Cayman clan will need to vanquish the enemy. As his foot speed increases, Still's body begins to grow, his shape modifying proportionally until his mass seems nearly double what it was just a minute earlier. Grandness. Purpose. Defeat to the short walkers. His feet leave the ground and he leans forward, breathing out the foul chill of death that heralds his coming. The others in his retinue rise up and float forward in his wake, all linked by the common goal. Kill the shaman. Kill her allies. They pass over a plaza that forms the axis of crossing roads, and through the swirling residue of smoke and waste, they can see the carnage of conflict. Two longbone warriors can be seen scattered along the narrow corridor of road. Their mangled bodies serve as mute testimony to a battle lost. But it does not matter. There are more of us than these, and the still mind knows it is so. They glide down over the rill of tiled roofing and settle bare feet onto a roadway now emptied of the stampeding crush of animals recently milling together. Not far off, a single old man stands alone in the middle of the street. He appears to be waiting. The pavement is cluttered with corpses. Most of the dead are small animals overcome by the exertions of failed resistance, suffocated, smashed, their posture bent and twisted. Around the old man lies a semicircle of human bodies. Four dead here. The closest came no nearer than a meter. But this is not the one. Still knows that the shaman is a woman. How is this one given off her sign? Still gives no more of himself. How means nothing. He clenches his fists and begins to move upward. We can leave this old fool to his victory. It's the others we want. But as he begins rising, there's a snag. A clutching at his massive foot, then his thigh. Within an instant, he is descending. Free me! He commands the others. The five leap to fly at the old man, 
but they gain no height either. Ramon knows his magic is strong with rightness. In his heart, he knows this is what he was born for, this moment in his destiny, in service to the Great Mother. I am the edge of the blade. From my hand there will be death that is life, no other death for me. As the Longbone Warriors close on him, he has no moment of regret. Instead, an enormous smile wreathes his face. He sweeps his arms out to the side, then brings them together in a clap that resounds along the street. He swings his joined arms high overhead and slams them to the ground with force and intention of a man splitting wood with a heavy axe. The street snaps into a sharp ridge, humps its back, and cracks open. The sudden rift in the earth shatters paving stones, throws blocks high into the air, and swallows the three leading attackers before slamming closed, leaving no sign of itself other than the litter of misplaced cobbles strewn along the middle of the street. One of the remaining longbones heaves at hack and launches a poison dart from an atlatl. The missile strikes Ramon's thigh. The shaman plucks it out. It doesn't matter. Only this work matters. The work of the living world. Ramon sees the largest one behind the screen of men advancing on him. The wizard. The leader. Closes his eyes, envisioning the five beings. More than them, their ephemeral essence. As he catches sight of that ghostly form, he inhales deeply. Might of mother, might of mother. He draws the vestigial humors of an enemy together as one might pour water into a container. Trapped. A tremendous pain suddenly sears his chest and he falls onto his knees with his eyes open. He exhales the vision, spitting all of what is left of his life out into the night air. The smoky, columnar wisps of mankind trapped in his mind collapse onto the street with him. Still sees the reality of the old man too late, and knows, as the others never will, what is coming. Capture. He shrinks back within himself against the perimeter of common knowing that forms the Longbone's mind. He utters an unthinkable call. Maul shikwant. Detach. Stand alone. How can this be? The words explode out of him with a force of dying man's cough. Blood and saliva spew from his open mouth as he staggers back on his heels. The others, trapped in the foreground of Ramon's spell, stand as stricken as Lot's wife. Suspended in infinity as the ancient shaman's incantation pulls the very energy of being out of them and they tumble onto the street as desiccated and empty of life as corn husks. Ramon drops to his knees and sags back onto his heels and into eternity on the deserted street, never having seen that all are dead except still, and even he has lost some of his bloated grandeur. Death has come close. Still stands alone, diminished, injured, but with his vanity still intact. He hesitates only long enough to regain his balance. His head rings. His connection with his body is vague, Looking down at his arms, he can see the street through them. The Ancient One came very near. If he had room in him for the luxury of admiration, he would feel it, but that is not his nature. After a moment, he begins to run, and in a few steps he has regained his sense of balance, and his body begins to coalesce around him once again. He sprints past the old man's inert body without wasting a glance on the vanquished enemy. Wednesday, 2341, GMT-5 Speckled Bear noses the air as she breathes. There are volumes of information concealed within the swirl of its lazy currents. Here there's mostly the acrid taste of fear, formic acid. The smaller animals are agitated, moving, anxiety-bittered blood. All the paths are alive with it. She raises her nose, prodding into the low strata of information with her dipping head, and pulls away sharply from the tart flow. Beyond what she can smell, there lies the overpowering electrical flow of panic. She rises from her shuffling walk into an attentive stand. She licks at the night, allowing the curtain of her lips to draw upward, exposing wicked incisors in a show of displeasure. Menace, torment, nearing. 
ready. And in the background, behind the shallow filter of magical partnership with the beast, Luce flexes her heart and readies herself for the assault. The instant the first wave of fleeing animals courses onto the grounds of the administrative building, Bear reverses her stance and turns her back on the unrushing horde. Despite the stench of panic, none of the animals comes within a meter of the standing bear. Deathrin behind is a threatening possibility, and any accidental contact with the towering bear is likely to transform probability into fact. Speckled Bear knows her weight will be short. She can smell them. The old ones are almost here. She lifts fully onto the pads of her rear legs and roars. I am waiting. Wednesday, 2343, GMT minus 5. Coordinator hates confinement. And now, for the second time in the much too recent past, she's trapped inside a building with answer, while some highly unreliable actors swirl around outside looking for a point of attack or weakness. The pit of her stomach feels suddenly empty as a brief wave of unexplained fear courses through. Fear is the dead point at the center of the unexpected, Kieran used to say to her. The balance will fall to one side of that point or the other. You must decide in that instant on which side you yourself will fall. The animals come. Racing, blinded by fear, pressed into action by herd instinct, they stumble, run, limp, limber, crawl, and hop out across the open flat of the narrow plaza. In the dark, Ordeer cannot see much of anything, but she can hear. A roar, an absolute cacophony of creature sounds, approaches and then engulfs the building with a deafening crash. What the fuck? Her left thigh develops a very slight shake. The small building feels as if it's being raised off the soil, allowing all manner of wild things to pass around and under it. It vibrates under the assault of countless minor collisions. Answer is watching. Through the walls, beyond the thin screen of the darkness, he sees the coursing throng migrating past. Their energy is frantic, made worse by contact with the pools of confusion and the synaptic disruption of the breaker coils he's casting out around himself. When a living thing crosses one of these invisible lines, it is rendered momentarily uncertain, and sometimes even a moment of indecisiveness can pose a mortal danger. For answer, it's the clear space of adrenaline. His heart rate does not race. His blood lolls through him with the easy grace of late summer stream. He hears Luce's voice in his head. They're here, she tells him. Answer shows her his ethereal self passing through the door of the shack, emerging to stand on the low stoop. No, she says insistently. Not yet. Wednesday, 2345, GMT minus 5. Bear feels it nearing her from behind. With startling grace and power, she whirls around, lifting her massive body in a 180-degree turn which brings her face-to-face -face with the female longbone warrior running toward her. She is racing full speed down a narrow lead, opening magically before her in the groaning press of animals. "'I know you, speckled bear,' the warrior says. "'The mystical garment of the shaman. She wears you well.' Then suddenly, she stops coming so rapidly that she seems painted in place. Bear spreads her massive forelegs, exposing the immense expanse of her breast. The gesture says, Show me what you have. Bring all of what you are to your end. It waits for you with me. The longbone woman bends down toward her toes, and then with an astonishingly rapid movement, snaps upright, extending her left arm with such force that the torque of her release leaves her body twisted sideways at the waist. Her weapon, a magical lens fashioned of obsidian embedded in a single long caiman tooth, slices the air with lethal efficiency, but when it arrives, there is simply no target. The deadly blade passes through the place where the warrior saw Speckled Bear and slings off into the brush. The Longbone Warrior has only enough time to register disbelief. The weapon has been wasted. The momentum lost on a projection. One moment pretending to be another. 
it is the past, Bear thinks, so very long ago. This thought moves through her mind-body as she rents the ribs, chest, lungs, and heart of the lithe-bodied warrior with a killing blow from behind. What you believe is not what there is to see, but rather what you have seen. With a roar, she lashes out to her left, decapitating another of the longbones as he too races to destroy the image she has left behind. Instantly, the rampant flow of animals coursing through the plaza drops to a trickle. Answer feels the ebb of motion, leaps out of his defensive corner and throws the door open. He projects his image at the aperture and the plank door swings back embedded with half a dozen razor-sharp points. Coordinator moves as well, throwing in her lot with momentum and action. She flings herself toward the open door in a tumbler's curl, somersaulting out, off the low steps and into the open yard. She unleashes a fan of breast needles at knee-high level, even before she has a chance to see what might be near her, and her reasoning is immediately rewarded. Three hunters feel their legs go to pieces before they can think to attack the rolling specter of violent reaction that the little building has become. Coordinator comes upright just in time to see a massively squat bear rip the head off of someone. She begins to scream. It feels good to vent. The din is terrific. Even as the caterwauling wildlife chorus fades away downhill, the decibel level of overwhelming volume persists in the plaza. Answer is wondering how Coordinator has lived this long, as crazy as she is, running toward Bear, yelling unintelligible words of encouragement as he goes. Not far away, gunfire and the report of small explosions rob the jungle of its solitude. There is shouting off that way as well. Coordinator is screaming epithets, Bear is yowling defiantly. Cries of misery sound up from the newly ruined, and attackers whose shapes have yet to distill themselves from the dark raise ragged voices and self-assuring promises of victory. Answer swerves to avoid the carcass of a pig, stumbles and accidentally saves his life as a lance breaks the plane where his torso would have been. He stays low, rolling in the dirt, moving in the direction of the throw and rising into the ribcage of his assailant with the force of a jumping jack. There is a startled grunt, and the longbone falls off Answer's impaling blade and lies burbling in the dirt. He turns and sees two more warriors racing toward him. As they cross one of Answer's breakers, both men's steps falter almost imperceptibly. Room for enterprise is given and ruthlessly exploited. A severed windpipe, perforated lung, two more with no room to run. Come to me! Answer hears loose and feels nothing behind him now. He rolls out to his left, bending to arm himself with a dropped lance. He moves to coil back on where he sees Bear slightly behind Coordinator and shouts to her, Coming in! Coming in! Don't shoot! As he yells, he realizes that Luce has done something. There is a cone around him, just a slight diminution of chaos swirling rip. She won't even see me, he thinks. Bear's looking out. Wednesday, 2351, GMT minus 5. Still races to look his destiny in the face. Incrementally, his power seeps back into him. He cannot fly as yet. The potion will last some time longer. The Ancient One possessed a magic he has not encountered before. Imagine that. In 420 years, I've seen so much, from the time the bearded ones with pale skin came with their unbreakable blades, to this moment, when an old man of the Peacemaker clan nearly kills me. Joy is not in his vocabulary, but satisfaction is. He feels satisfaction at the awareness that his magic, the Serum of the Cayman, has triumphed once again. The seer is engaged, still knows it, and the others, with their last voice, tell him it is so. The others are there with her. Good. They will all fail at once. Finally, after the falling away of eons, his people have had this chance to avenge their loss. Toppling the Oracle of the Jaguar will only be the beginning. He trains his message on the common wavelength and summons all that remain of his clan to converge on the site where the battle surges. Go to her. Once again, he tries to lift off and fails. Must hurry. She's mine to kill. Mine! From all parts of the Pueblo, those that remain of the Longbones hasten toward the center of conflict. 
coordinators on her knees. She waves her hand at one of the attackers and its body shakes, rattling in place, afflicted by the wave of pointed finality it has encountered. The amazement in its eyes is barely fading, as it spills over backward, its forehead stitched ear to ear in a gruesome display of high-tech needlepoint. Her mind works efficiently in several compartments at once. In the foreground, she has reduced the conflict to its schematic elements. Form, function, work only, no waste. In the background, another analyst is wondering over the high combat efficiency being displayed by a bear. There's a fucking bear beating the shit out of a bunch of naked huns, and the fact is, it's clearly working in tandem with her and answer. Well, this shit just keeps getting weirder, but the brass is going to give out in a couple secs, and then what? Beyond the practical demands of simply staying alive for another moment lies a deeper realization, an earthquake of knowledge that threatens to contaminate the rest of the perfectly set stage of her assumptions with the visible proof of magic. Wednesday, 2352, GMT-5 Despair has no place in the plaza, and least of all inside Answer's head. The three of them are now back together in a tight circle, but every time any of the three of them racks one of the bad guys, another two or three show up out of the bushes. It's like there's a giant toothpaste tube full of these things, and somebody just keeps squeezing it out. But something is changing. He can feel that the force of energy directed at them is falling. In his chest, he feels a weight. In his mouth, it tastes like quinine. Something behind this. A bigger thing. The noise level jumps perceptibly. Answer swings his head toward the center of town and sees Renee and Jack North backing feverishly into the plaza. The men alternate taking shots into the near black of night behind them. Answer can hear Rene screaming his impatience at the other man. We're almost there, he yells as he steadies himself to take a shot at a shape ten feet away. The air around the two retreating figures is a hail of missiles. Rene and Jack are nearly out of gas. In the few minutes it has taken them to fight their way up to the administrative complex, they've spent nearly all the ammunition for their weapons. Jack has been peppering every darkened doorway and alley inlet with loop caps, the plastic and wax pellets that release the disorienting Tysine gas, in hopes of gaining some advantage against the ambush provided by such hiding places. Here and there, his tactic produces the desired effect. Several naked warriors have stumbled into the open, their slack-jawed faces testimony to the effectiveness of the small anti-personnel weapon. Those unlucky enough to show themselves are no longer concerned with whether or not they made the right decision in revealing their position. I can't believe the persistence of these bastards, Jack thinks. What are they after? What's the fucking story here? Why don't they stop coming? Behind them, a string of small fires burns brightly along the main street. Each blaze marks a place Rene has seen or suspected he's seen bad guys. Low on ammo, and minus his shorty, he's taken to splattering the corridor with an incendiary grenade or two. In his mind, the high likelihood of torching the wrong building or blowing up innocence is offset completely by the enhanced probability for longer life, promised by the effect of each incendiary blow. Right now, he's much too busy saving his own ass to worry about the occasional misapplied ordinance. Finally, he gets an eye on his old friend Answer. He caps another attacker as it races toward him from the tree line. The shit-eaters they are into now don't appear to have a gun between them, all the same inside himself. He's amazed that neither he nor Jack has been hit. All that shit in the air, we should be dead as stones. And the question nags, how many more of these fuckers are there? It seems like they're not as fast coming as before, but if they ain't done real soon, me and the compadres here are going to be shit out of luck. He lobs another grenade at a likely patch of shadow and turns to run toward Answer's position. Hand to hand, we lose. Bear knows it's close. There are not many now. The one, the principal one, is near. Now is the time. Bear drops onto all fours, raises her head, and bellows. She plops down on her haunches and reaches for her great protruding belly, Coordinator senses a change in the flow of conflict. Pressure has fallen off, 
She's not seen a new attacker in maybe two whole minutes. The needler is practically exhausted, maybe a couple dozen pins left, and its main use now is as a fast-filling weight. She has picked up a rude knife from one of the dead and used it twice with fair success. Most of the sorry-ass skinnies are dead. She hears Nortenio and Rene breaking onto the plaza. Short bursts of rifle fire and the brilliant flaring balloon of incendiary grenades alert her to their arrival. Backup. Hope they've got guns. This one-on-one shit is way too primitive. The bear roars behind her. She flips a glance in its direction and then freezes. As she watches, the bear's face collapses onto a mask of flaccid tissue. Every muscle in its body seems to go limp as the source and nature of its animation undergoes transfiguration. It leans, tipping ever so slowly forward, bowing down onto itself until its great fanged head rests between splayed legs, the broad handle of nose nearly touching the ground. An eerie quiet sets itself down on the plaza. As the bear slouches down on itself, a fine line like a pencil drawing collapses all around its body. And Coordinator looks on as the line develops a gap and snakes off and away from the bear's inert form. Then it gathers itself into a coil at the base of the great animal's feet and begins to cohere into something, and then there's Luz, standing fully erect atop the exact spot only just now occupied by the dark pool of graphite. To what is what has been, to what would be what is, she sings. There's no time for Luz to waste. She passes a hand over the shaggy coat of the bear. My thanks for the gift, Quachaich. We will find one another again, and I will repay your bravery. Be well, you are finished with us here. She bends and blows vigorously into the beast's ear. The great bear stirs itself as if awakening from a long sleep. It extends its body out along the earth beside Luce's feet in a great seizure of stretching, before gathering itself up onto its feet, giving its massive head a thorough shake, and ambling off into the brush, as if it had never for a moment exerted itself, or seen the natural world disturbed by the foot of morbid suffering. A velvet quiet falls over the plaza. Where moments earlier all prospects of peace were sacrificed to the rending scroll of conflict, there is now a complete and absolute suspension of turmoil. Coordinator stands, staring dumbfounded at Luz. Answer does not believe the silence. His body lifts off the ground, every neuron rejecting what he knows is a false reconciliation between quiet and peace. Colors begin to shift as the lens of his great skeptic cat falls over his eyes. Wrongness is what is. Rene feels it, too. Although he has only his sight to rely on, his senses to trust, he knows in his core this lull is not to be trusted. As for the little woman, what he's witnessed squares with what he knew was possible. My line of work, you see all kind of shit. This hill is no different. Girl got some shit in there, all right. Some serious shit. Just glad I'm being on the right side all that. He's turning slowly, hoping he's looking the right way when things break out. No shit. No fucking doubt. And Jack North needs no guide to tell him that he has come into a place where all things are possible. His sense of amazement has been put on hold. Here and now, just here and now, his nose tells him there's more. And he wishes, for just the briefest moment, that he didn't believe it. Wednesday, 2359, GMT-5. Still has speed with him. His vision projects out beyond the normal range. In a way, it is as if he can see the future, and traveling at nearly twice a normal person's foot speed gives him many more options for aggression than an adversary contained by the limits of a customary frame of sensory reference would have. He practically flies into the arena of the plaza. Jack North has time to raise his weapon and squeeze the trigger before the long point of Still's lance passes through his heart. He's dead before disappointment or regret have time to cloud the clarity of his surprise. Rene is blessed with luck, always has been. The Schmeiser grunts once, 
short burst catching the left side of whatever hit Jack before the poisoned blade slices through the left side of his chest, catches on the bone of his shoulder blade, and snaps clean off. Well, she he grunts as a look of astonishment covers his face. He drops his weapon and begins to slump groundward. Poison, shock, and arterial bleeding kill him before he can utter that last profane complaint about conditions in general that death strands in his mouth. Still, unable to slow his progress as quickly as he wishes, and slightly distracted by the weeping bullet wounds in his ribcage, crashes through a metaphysical webwork of traps. Breakers and circles of confusion entangle his energy, creating miniature lacerations at countless points in his mind and body. As he races through another field, he feels something unexpected. The power here is not hers alone. He pulls at his concentration with all control he is able to marshal, using everything he has left to bring himself around to face the shaman, but he is slow in stopping. The common mind is empty of all other points except the faint murmur of a a wounded one. It makes no difference. I'm here. I'll finish it. I will see the plan through. Coordinator is all efficiency. As she watches Jack and Renee wither in front of a moving blur, she remembers shooting doves as a girl. All you have to do is lead them, her father would tell her. All you have to know is where they're going to be. She laces a void space 20 meters downwind with the last couple dozen pins in her breast. Pain. Still screams in agony as half a dozen shattering flechettes plow into his wrist, forearm, and chest. He stumbles to a halt, panting from exertion, and fixes his attention on the women. There is another. The small female is his target, the jaguar's bitch. The longer one is pointing at him. She's the one who has stung me, he realizes. I will deal with her later. It will be as it has been, Cayman. Luz's suddenly grand voice booms out across the litter of near-empty space. She waves her arm over the dead lying in the plaza. These are yours! Now join them! From where Coordinator stands, neither of them seems to have moved a muscle, but they are suddenly moving, and very swiftly, too. Neither of them has a weapon in hand, but power is not the province of objects alone. Luz is moving herself toward the Cayman's pawn. As she approaches, she stretches the facade of her being so that an elasticized version of herself reaches the Longbones warrior fractionally before the energy of her true body arrives. Still knows he has no time to waste. His center is diminished by the onslaught of the ancient spell, his newly acquired wounds, and the leakage of force caused by Answer's defensive loops. Exhaustion is near. Blame can always be placed on many things when an error is made, but this is not the time for blame. He flees his physical body, leaving it in mid-stride where it appears to be reaching for the enemy as he projects his energy up just at the moment of contact with the projection of Luz. His plan is to sink down behind the shaman and possess her. Luz observes it, as if from a distance. The oncoming Cayman Illith vibrates in the range of low blue-purple, and he leaves his body. She looks on as the smeary reality of the Cayman's energy separates from the warrior's body, going up, turning, and plummeting back again. It falls upon the shell phantom being she holds out before her. She stops, rolls her head, shouts, Now as before, all to nothing! And with that, she blows out the light of her belief in the Longbones warrior. Disaster. The surge of energy that is Still's entire reality lands in the envelope of unbeing Luce has set out for him. But before she can complete the spell, he too exhales, and in doing so, looses some considerable part of himself from the capsule of finality which has imprisoned him. Luz falls on her back, emptied out by the sustained effort of battle. She has no more to give. The essential aspects of Still's venomous energy are badly shrunken, but still, he sees an opportunity. She doesn't realize. He draws himself, every imaginable element of what he is, into his center. Answer is not blinded by Still's efforts. Rather, he is enlivened, for in this moment he has fully given himself over to the possession of his guardian. From four meters off, 
The jaguar sees a blot of shifted color in the night that hovers in the air above Luz's body. A single, powerful leap brings him to where Luz sits crumpled on the pavement. Coordinator pitches herself at Renee Schmeiser, snaps it up, and swings back to train it on the huge, naked warrior. She looses a short burst that catches the momentarily frozen figure square in the middle body. The longbone's body folds at the waist and jumps backwards, landing with a wet thud on the dark stones of the plaza. Answer's legs straddle the small body of the shaman loose. Coordinator thinks she sees Answer's body waver. She rubs her eyes with a free hand. Terrible light. It's amazing I can see anything. Look out! She yells. There's some kind of... something above you! And as she watches, Answer lets loose a sound, almost a snarl, that rips through the night. It's an emanation so savage that Coordinator knows it cannot be from the man she's watching. Smoke, scarlet smoke, curls up from Answer's mouth as he bends into a deep crouch over Luce's body. The mystical hole that constitutes the still has no time to consider what is happening. The truth of things denies all desires to the contrary, and the facts crystallize before him. It cannot be, but it is. Jaguar himself has come. Answer springs into the air, driving up toward the low-hanging blot in the dark that is still. A string of words fall from his distorted mouth. Now is your time, dead thing. Coordinator knows she is watching a man, or something very like a man, coming towards her. A calmness, typical of her ordered mind, descends over her. She flashes a searching look around. Nothing moves. At least that's cool. She can't hear anything but the unintelligible roaring call. Holy fucking shit. She feels the words in her chest and belly spilling out of her mouth, and their mere presence offers some modicum of coherence in a moment that has clearly come unbound from the rules of the everyday. Where still, the vain and proud chieftain of an ancient people was, just a moment ago, there's now nothing. In the instant of his realization that the source of all the energy he's been feeling is not the seer, but the master, the jaguar himself, still flees. As his diminished vapors bleed off into the night, he resolves anew to take his revenge on the cat. Ancient hatred moves him now beyond the reach of smell or sight, beyond the ken of those that don't know but imagine they might. The Longbones leader flies to his destination of last resort, the promise of vengeful hatred fueled by the sting of loss. Answer finds himself crouched over Luz. He's not immediately sure how he got there or what has happened to him. His body feels swollen, his mouth tastes sour. Coordinator has her hand on his shoulder. Hey, are you all right? She kneels down to get a look at Luz. Luz, are you okay? I don't know what the fuck just happened, but I think it's okay now. Answer's body shakes with the aftereffects of adrenaline. His breath feels foul with the stench of a taste that he does not want to know. And he thinks she could not be more wrong. We will be back next week with Chapter 18 of Criminal Magic. If you are enjoying this story and podcast, please leave a rating and review to help others find it as well. Thank you very much, and we'll see you next week.